Well, for those of you who are with us for the first time or have not been here for a while, we are in the middle of a series or towards the end of a series titled The Story, where we have been looking at the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And and today we get to chapter 27, which is the resurrection, where we are looking at the, the resurrection of Jesus. And so last Sunday, we spent time focused on the cross. We all met together in the gym and and spent some time in communion and looking at the sacrifice of the Lamb of God on the cross, the, the final sacrifice. And as we got to the end of chapter 26 and, and the end of last Sunday, we got to a point where uh, Jesus is dead. It's finished. The story is over. The things are done. But the temple curtains rip apart. The earth shakes. The rocks split. The tombs open and the witnesses say, something's different about this guy. Surely this is the Son of God. But what should have been the end of the story, the the focus on the cross, it's not the end. We are here again. We, We come here together this Sunday because it's not the end of the story. Jesus is dead, and, and Joseph and Nicodemus come and take the body of Jesus, and they give him a proper burial. They want to make sure that he is, is buried before the Sabbath day comes, and it is no doubt that he is actually dead. We have witnesses that say that he is dead. They're going to bury him. Unless Joseph and Nicodemus did not know what a dead body was, something was wrong. Jesus is dead, and the Romans are expert killers, right? They know how to execute someone. So is there any doubt that Jesus is dead? Jesus is absolutely dead. And for his enemies, it looks like they have won, right? The ones who wanted him executed, they're probably celebrating, or at least they're very relieved that Jesus is not a problem anymore. This, this Jesus guy is not going to get in the way. He's not going to disrupt our religious gatherings. He's not going to have these strange teachings about loving our enemies. No more crowds calling for Jesus to be king. Jesus is dead. It's all done. Or is it? The the religious leaders are still very nervous. They know better than Jesus' own followers that he made claims that on the third day he would rise from the grave. And so they are worried. They are concerned. And so they take precautions. Matthew 27, starting in verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on it, and on the stone, and posting the guard. So this tomb is made secure. Jesus is dead. He's put in the tomb, and the guards secure this tomb with a seal of the governor. And to go and break that seal or tamper with that seal or do anything to oppose those guards would be a death sentence. 
And so where are the disciples? Where are they at? The religious leaders know that Jesus has made this claim, and so they take precautions. But where are the ones who claim to follow Jesus? Where have they gone? They are in hiding. They, of all people, should be waiting for the third day to come, while the religious leaders are nervously waiting for that third day to pass by. But no, they are in hiding. They've scattered. They are fearful. They certainly aren't going to confront a Roman guard to go and steal a body. They are finished. Jesus' kingdom movement is done. Everything is in that grave with him. And Jesus goes from celebrity status to a nobody because he's dead. But then Sunday comes. The Sabbath is over and a group of women come and they they go to the tomb to take care of the body. And it wasn't a very well thought out plan because as they're walking there, they start asking each other, how are we going to get that stone out of the way? But they're going anyway. They're going to care for the body of Jesus, a dead body. And they get to the tomb and these guards, these tough Roman guards are passed out cold. And the stone has been rolled away, and there is an opening, and they go into that opening, and they encounter an angel. This is the same angel that caused these Roman guards to pass out out of fear. And this is what the angel says, do not be afraid. I know these guys passed out out of fear, but you do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. These are some pretty tough ladies, right? He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Remember, he said that he was going to do this, and he's done it. He is risen from the grave. Come and see the place where he lay. This is where the body was. The body is not there anymore. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women go back to the disciples and they tell this great news, right? They're excited and and Peter and John run to the tomb to confirm that it's empty. And then as we're going through this chapter 27, there's this this great encounter on the road to Emmaus where these these followers of Jesus are, are walking away from Jerusalem because it's done, right? Jesus is dead. Everything that they hoped for is gone. And so they're going back home sad and defeated. And this guy starts walking along with them. And they start talking about this Jesus. And they get to their their home and they invite this man in. And and in the breaking of bread, Jesus is revealed to them. It's one of my favorite resurrection stories. And we don't have time to get to it in great detail. So they encounter Jesus in the breaking of this bread, and they take off back for Jerusalem because Jesus just disappears again. And they go back and they tell everything they've seen. And later that evening in the gathering, Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened didn't take the whole peace thing very well, did they? Thinking they saw a ghost, because he's dead, right? 
Even though they've had these witnesses come and tell them that he's alive, no, this is a ghost. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. That's good to know. As you see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is why I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus is very much not dead. And here he comes giving evidence of his physical body, and he's pretty famished from being dead and all. So, so he has to eat some fish. He eats this fish, and, and they believe. There's this physical presence of Jesus. It is not just an empty tomb, but he is alive. We see him. We touch him. We feel him. We experience this time with him. And then he reminds them that he has told them this over and over. They should have known, right? They should have been expecting this. They should have been anticipating this, but they didn't. And he says, you have to believe. This is in fulfillment of all the prophecies that you were raised on as a child. The prophecies of the Old Testament, the words of Moses and Isaiah that say who Jesus will be. He is the Messiah. But Thomas wasn't there with him. Thomas was out getting groceries or something. But Thomas comes in and misses this encounter and doesn't believe. They tell him what has happened. He's like, no, no. Unless I can put my hands in those wounds, unless I can touch him myself, I will not believe. And who can really blame him, right? This is a pretty crazy story. He needs some sort of tangible evidence that Jesus is alive. And so a week later, Jesus comes back to the disciples and has another encounter with them. And this one, I think, is just designed for Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there with them. He finally made it into the room. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I don't know, maybe you're like Thomas. You're skeptical. You're not sure about this resurrection thing. You're not sure about this Jesus thing. And, and you come into a worship gathering like this, and, and you're, you're among believers, but you're skeptical. What is this resurrection all about? It's, it seems like some sort of strange fairy tale. Did Jesus really rise up from the dead? We believe because we gather here every Sunday, we, we gather as followers of his that yes, this very much did happen. 
that Jesus absolutely did die, and he was buried, and he rose again. And that's why we gather. There's lots of evidence for the resurrection. We don't have time to get into all of it this morning, but, but there's, there's so much that says, yes, the resurrection did happen. Sir Lionel Luca was um, considered to be one of the greatest lawyers in British history. Um, he holds Guinness Book World Records for um, 245 consecutive murder acquittals. So, Phil, that gives you something to work up to, right? All right, so 245 consecutive murder acquittals. He was knighted by Queen, Queen Elizabeth II twice. And he declared, after, after his own study, he declared, I humbly add, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world and am still in active practice. So I'm, I'm a lawyer and I'm a good one. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Now, this is just some lawyer. This is not the Bible. But he is saying on his own pursuit as, as someone who is very successful, someone who looks for the truth, the evidence is there. There's absolutely no room for doubt. Jesus has risen from the dead. There's lots of other evidences. One, the biggest one really is the staying power of Jesus. Here we are, 2,000 years later, celebrating the resurrection. What incredible staying power there is. Our entire dating system structures around the resurrection we see the evidences of changed lives over the 2,000 years as evidence of the resurrection. We see the responses of the enemies of Jesus before and after. We see a movement of Christians coming out of the resurrection. They were hiding, and after the resurrection, this movement breaks out. And it is something that has stuck around. N.T. Wright says the only possible explanation for the rise of Christianity, us gathering here today, and for its taking the shape it did, was that Jesus of Nazareth, three days after being very thoroughly dead, was found by his followers to be very thoroughly and very bodily alive again. His tomb was empty. Had it not been, his followers would have believed they were seeing some kind of apparition. Christianity, as we know it, would not have exploded into the movement that it was if Jesus was actually dead. There's also the power of prophecy that tells us that Jesus was actually the Son of God and the resurrection did happen. Second Peter talks about prophecy in chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So these aren't stories that are made up. We are eyewitnesses of what happened. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Remember, God says that at his baptism. This is my Son, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. 
We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. So the prophecies of the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus are reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So the prophets didn't just make it up for their own interpretation. These are things that came from God. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we could spend a whole, a whole message just looking through the prophecies of the Old Testament and how those are fulfilled in Jesus. His birth, his death were all prophesied hundreds of years before he was even born. And we see Jesus fulfilling those prophecies. We also know that the resurrection happened because of the eyewitness accounts. Jesus appeared around 10 different times that we know of that are recorded in Scripture. One of those was to over 500 people. Let's get 500 people to all share the same fictitious story, right? These 500 people saw Jesus very much alive. And as we read through the narrative, it gives specific names of different people that were still alive at the time that those things were written. So you could go and confirm this story. You could go to Nicodemus and say, was Jesus really dead? Yes, he was really dead. I helped bury him. You could go to Mary and say, was the tomb really empty? And Mary could say, yes, the tomb was empty. You could confirm these stories. And so any kind of conspiracy theory that said the disciples just stole the body or, or maybe they just made it up to make themselves feel better, these were a bunch of fearful guys that are stuck in a room because they won't even show their face. And these are the guys who could come up with some story. Peter, really? Peter's going to be the guy who can come up with some fictitious story about the resurrection of Jesus and then convince 500 other people to say they saw him? It doesn't make sense. There are very real witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. As we look at the resurrection, there's, there's really four things that happen for us through the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, first, the, re the resurrection vindicated Jesus. Jesus made a lot of bold claims about himself. And if he would have died and stayed in the tomb, he would have just been a lunatic. Because for the things that he claimed about himself, he had to have been the Son of God or a crazy man. And so the resurrection vindicates those claims of Jesus. Because Jesus is no longer dead, because he came out of the tomb, it confirms what he claimed about himself. He is the Son of God. When he was killed, his enemies thought that they had finally silenced this worthless temporary revolution. But Jesus' death made his teachings and his claims completely empty because he's the dead guy now. We don't want to listen to the dead guy. But the resurrection, that changes everything. Now, everything that Jesus taught, everything that he claimed is confirmed to be true because he's no longer in the grave, he's alive. The, the resurrection vindicated Jesus by, by proving that his teachings were something to be listened to, that his kingship over this kingdom was deserved, that his death was not an accident, 
but it was something that was planned. The resurrection proved that Jesus was everything that he says he was. The empty tomb is full of claims of divine vindication. It proves and establishes something vital about Jesus' identity. Peter makes this claim in Acts chapter 2. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is who he says he is because of the resurrection. Second thing we see is the resurrection defeated death. Jesus' resurrection was not just a defeat of his, his own death, but it was also a defeat of the death for good for all of us. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we do not fear death. We know that there is something coming that's even better, something that's even greater. One strong proof that we see of the resurrection is that nearly all of the apostles died a martyr's death. That they faced death. That they faced the persecution. And even in the midst of that, they had the courage and they had the confidence to go forward. Because they had encountered the living Jesus. Jesus defeats death, and so if, if they are faced with death for their beliefs in Jesus, they can face that death with great courage, with great boldness, because they know that death is not the end. There is something far more. And so the resurrection shows us that, that death is defeated, that there's something more for us. It gives us a promise of a future life. For the Christian, death is not an ending. It is just the beginning. And this reality should make us very bold as followers of Jesus, as ones who bear his name, as ones who, who make a claim that Jesus is alive, Jesus rose from the dead. What does that do for our lives? Does that give us a life of boldness? Does that give us a life of courage? Or, or does it give us a life of fear? Does it, does it give us a life of, of self-serving, self-protection? Or can we be bold and courageous? Because the resurrection defeats death. We also see that the resurrection restored hope. A dead Jesus in a tomb doesn't give us much hope, right? Right? But one who's alive, one who, who has gone to death and come back, that provides us great hope. When Jesus rose from the dead, hope in all that he promised was restored. All the things that he claimed, the things that he said about his kingdom, those things are restored. If he's alive and not stuck in some tomb somewhere, then he's capable of doing everything he promised. There's not so much hope with the dead body, but with a living body, with the resurrection, that brings hope. N.T. Wright says, the power that has tyrannized the old creation has been broken, defeated, overthrown. God's kingdom is now launched and launched in power and glory on earth as it is in heaven. We have hope. Because the power of God is very much alive in the here and now. The things that Jesus claimed, the things that Jesus worked for, for healing, 
for restoration, for reconciliation, those things that he wanted so badly, we now participate in, and we have hope that those things can happen. We have hope that things can be restored. We have hope that broken people can be renewed. We have hope that, that sick people can be healed. We have hope because of the resurrection. And the last thing is the resurrection sparked a movement. This is the thing that's so compelling for us. Before Jesus left, he, he gathered his disciples together and gave them this final great commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So there's still doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These commandments to go and make disciples is, is why we as a church seek to be a group of people who are disciples of Jesus, who are making other disciples. That's what we are all about. And that is our, our driving goal, that we want to be about disciple-making. We want to be about making followers of Jesus, because as Jesus leaves this earth, very much alive, he gives us these very clear instructions that this is just the start. This is not the end. That with the resurrection, a movement has begun. This new kingdom movement that he has created. And that's why we're all about the Great Commission. It's about the reality here in our neighborhood, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. We want to be about reaching others to be followers of Jesus. We see in the, the very early church, it's, it's evident that the resurrection was real because of this rapid growth of the early church. That these disciples went from a place of hiding to taking the Great Commission very seriously. The ones that were hiding, the ones that were fearful, the ones that were on the run, or the ones that are standing in the temple courts proclaiming that Jesus is alive, proclaiming that the one that they had crucified is, in fact, the Son of God. We see a complete transformation in Peter and the others as they take a lead in this movement. They took it seriously because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because he's not in a tomb, because he is alive. Christianity exists because of the resurrection. Christianity began as a resurrection movement. Before the resurrection, they were in hiding. After the resurrection, history changed. The world as we know it was transformed because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not a final conclusion to the life of some teacher from Nazareth. The resurrection is a launching point. It's the beginning of something new. It's a move that opens a way for action. The empty tomb is our doorway into some new adventure. Next week, we're going to talk about the new beginning. As, as this early church launches and becomes 
something that is, is creating a huge difference in the world. We're called into a movement of action. We're called to be disciples of his. Because of the resurrection, we are compelled to share it with others. If Jesus really is not dead, if Jesus is really alive, then it should transform the way we act. It should transform the way we behave. It should transform the way we operate as a church. And so because the resurrection is very real, we are going to take his commands very real. We're going to take that commission very real. And we're going to be disciples who make disciples. At that moment, it was the dawn of a new day in the story of God's relationship with his people. Through the resurrection of his son, a new power was let loose in the world. It's a power that restores the broken and the lost. And we are a part of that movement. We are part of the resurrection movement. The followers of Jesus who very boldly stand up and claim, Jesus is alive. And that is what we are called to as followers of his. Let's be standing together. Each week we try to spend some time in prayer with one another to, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to hold one another accountable, to lift one another up. And so as you come here today, I'm not sure where you're at with the resurrection. You may be like Thomas and, and you're on the fringes, you're skeptical, you're doubting, you're not sure about this whole thing. And so I pray that you will continue that pursuit, that you will continue to find answers of who Jesus is. Ask questions, seek the truth, look for the evidences. Jesus is very much alive, and we want you to join in that belief with us. You may be one who believes you're all in, and you are here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And my question to you, as you reflect on your walk is do you live like Jesus is alive? We say we believe, but are our lives evidence of that? Are you acting with courage? Are you acting with power that comes from the resurrection? Or are you behaving like you truly believe that Jesus, or are you, believing, are you behaving like you believe that Jesus really rose from the grave? Because I think it's so easy for us to just slip into habits of going to church, doing our thing, and we forget that we are kingdom people who follow a risen Savior, a Jesus who is very much alive. Some of you may be ready to commit for the first time. You have not made that commitment that Jesus is my Lord, that I will follow him, I believe in the resurrection, and I am going to make my life about living the resurrected life. And you want to be a part of the kingdom movement. You want to join with that. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that if, if you are in Christ, you have become a new creation. And so God gives us baptism as, as a picture of this renewing of life-changing power. Baptism gives us this special connection with Jesus. It gives us this partnership in his death as we go down into the waters of baptism. As we come up out of the waters, we are participating in that resurrection. And when we rise up out of the waters of baptism, we discover the same spirit that accomplished Jesus' victory over death. 
That same power takes up residence in us. That same power is in us. And it gives us new life. It gives us a promise of the final resurrection. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, we're going to spend some time in prayer. We're going to have shepherds down front and I'll be down front. If you want to pray with somebody, you can, you can gather up with somebody and, and pray with them if you want to come forward and pray with a shepherd. But where are you at? Are you skeptical? Are you all in but, but maybe have some refining to do in, in how you live that out? Maybe you want to take Jesus for the first time and participate in his resurrection through baptism. You can come forward as we stand and sing. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your son. And so this time of worship, this time of prayer we give to you, I pray that you will continue to to challenge us, to speak to us, to convict us, help us to grow and be transformed to become more like you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.